Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Um, we've been looking at the Psalms this summer, diving into a bunch of different Psalms, unpacking one a week as we go through it. I'm really excited about today as we jump into Psalm 27. I want to start just going all the way back into my childhood. As I was a kid, I was scared of the dark. It's a pretty normal fear for kids, right? I don't know how, how many of you felt like you were scared of the dark as a kid. Anybody? A few of us, right? Still are, right? I'm still scared of the dark. It's a pretty normal fear, but I, I can remember lying in my bed at night. I won't tell you what age I was, but I'm lying in my bed and looking at the shadows cast on the walls and the ceiling and trying to discern if those were just like, um, they're not going to hurt me shadows, or if those were reflecting something that actually could do me harm. And um, I would, my strategy when I didn't know was just to lie really still, thinking if I can remain undetected, whatever it is will just pass on by. Anybody ever do that? Okay, I'm not the only one confessing here. Good deal. So nothing ever was dangerous in my room, right? Except for a bat one time that snuck in and was squeaking behind a toy chest, and I thought it was a toy until I looked and then shoved the toy chest onto it. Um, That's a different story. Sorry. One time, though, fear hit me in a new way. I'm not sure uh, what happened, but the sun had gone down. I was still playing in my room and had gone, got dark outside. And whatever the set of circumstances was, my door was closed in my bedroom and the lights went out, right? Um, the lights went out and my room went dark. And I started freaking out. Somehow, I managed to make my way to the sliver of light under the door, thinking, if I get to the door, I can go out. But then as I started to turn the door, we had a real old house, and it was one of those doors that like you turn, and it's the glass knobs, but it's worn, right? And so it just kept turning and turning and turning, but it wouldn't open. So I'm stuck in my room, holding onto this sliver of light, and I start to freak out. And I start to yell for my mom and dad. And they come to the door, and they're like, just turn the handle. I'm like, it's not working. And then they try from the outside, and it's not working for them. And they're like, what you need to do is you need to go over, and you need to turn on a light. I'm like, I can't leave this sliver. I can't leave where I'm at. I got light here, and that's all dark, and I don't know what's over there, and I can't move. You ever been paralyzed by fear? You ever, you ever felt like uh, the dark was coming after you? And whether it was um, physical enemies or problems that were coming your way or just you felt a darkness around you or you were like literally trapped in the dark. Have you ever felt that moment where you knew fear? Even like you felt like you were under attack. It could have felt as big as an army coming against you. What do you do in that time? Where do you turn in the moment of fear? Psalm 27 deals with fear, and it deals with a response to fear. And so we're going to jump into that today. There's a little bit more to the story that I'll get to unpack for you. But I want to read Psalm 27 and then jump into this one. Right from the very get-go, it starts to 
identify and vanquish fear. Psalm 27 reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I love this psalm. Like, there... I was talking with Emma earlier this morning. There are so many verses in it that are just quotable, that are um, memorable. That you could put it on a coffee mug, slap it up. It, I think this psalm has like inspired countless songs, many of them. like we, we did a few of them this morning that are coming out of some of the richness of this psalm. It starts out with this phrase, The Lord is my light. And then it moves into the Lord is my salvation and the Lord is my stronghold. So I want to start right there. I want to talk about what is light and what is he talking about with salvation? What is he talking about with the stronghold? When he brings those things up, this is identified as a psalm of David. And so you can picture King David as he's going through life, and this is his desire. He's writing this out as a poem, as a song, as a prayer to God. So this, interestingly, is the only Old Testament verse that directly calls God light. There are other Old Testament verses that talk about God and light together, like uh, Job 38.19 talks about um, dwelling of light, that God's place is of light. Psalm 104 verse 2 says he wraps himself with light, like clothing, like light is the clothing that God puts on. 2 Samuel 22.29 says he turns my darkness into light. Psalm 36, verse 9 says, In your light do we see light. Isaiah 9, 2. says, People walking in darkness have seen a great light. And that one's actually referring to Jesus. Coming and Jesus who would 
come into a dark world and shine a light so that we could see him and be led by him. The New Testament uh, takes off on this theme of light, right? John 1 opens up with a beautiful description of God as light. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Again, referring to Jesus as the true light who gives light. He both is light and he gives light. 1 John 1.5 that uh, the worship team read earlier, that God is light. In him there is no darkness. So we know that God is light, right? So how do we understand light here in Psalm 27? In John, light is about understanding. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that light came into the world, and it's about seeing things differently. We've been walking in darkness, and now we can see, now we can understand. In 1 John, light is about God's purity. If we walk in the light, like God is in the light, and is talking about walking in a pure way, walking in uh, communion with God and with one another, and not trampled down and hindered by sin, it's talking about pure, uh, a purity. Right? So understanding and purity are two different themes of light. But here, here, I think it's a little bit different. Here in Psalm 27, I think the psalmist seems to be saying that God is the light that chases away the fearful darkness. That when you find yourself in the dark, God is the light that this eradicates it. God is the, the light that comes in and the darkness has to go away. So that question again, have you ever known fear? Have you ever known the dark as it comes on you? Like I go back to my room as a kid and I'm pounding on the door and I'm screaming for my parents and they're outside and they feel helpless because the door knob isn't working and I'm too scared to go turn on the lights, which would have been a quick fix, but I couldn't. And my parents ended up breaking the door. They just they just broke the door to open it. And that door was never the same. Like that little metal box that holds the click in the door, they like busted out of the wall and never replaced it. And there was a hole in the door frame so the door could swing freely from that point forward. Like my parents cared so much about me in a time of fear that they bust through the darkness literally. And that's what God does. He says, you're trapped, you're stuck, you're afraid, you may feel paralyzed, and I will not stop until light comes into your life. I will bring it, and you will know it. God is our light, and he breaks through the darkness, and the darkness cannot stay. Do you know that this morning? Do you know God as your light? Do you know God as the one who will chase away the fear, who will chase away the darkness? It's a gift that he gives, and I want you to know God that way. And if you don't, you can. If you don't, you can. He's offering it. David goes on, and he talks about salvation. The Hebrew word here translates into deliverance. I've been delivered, like I've been saved. It probably means that God is saving David from his enemies, right? Because he talks a lot about enemies in this context. God is the one who saves me. He delivers me from my enemies. I mean, today, salvation has become a fairly churchy word. We toss out salvation 
And we tend to almost exclusively uh, talk of it as, it's, as the ultimate salvation, right? The gospel message that Jesus came, he died for our sins, he rose again so that we could be with him and go to heaven, right? That's all true, and that's all wonderful. But salvation is more than that. So I think of uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, and Zacchaeus. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was so small in stature. That's your reputation, by the way. You like it? So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to, to see him, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone into the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What was salvation for Zacchaeus? He's, Jesus is not declaring that you get saved and you get to go to heaven because of the works you do, right? He's not doing that. That would violate all kinds of uh, stuff in Scripture that talk about a relationship with God that he pays for, that he does, that is given to us, not by our own merit, not by our own effort, but by grace alone, through faith alone. And so when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I see what you've done today. Salvation has come to this house. He's talking about deliverance. He's talking about being saved, not just in the ultimate sense, but he's talking about he's been saved from being trapped by greed. The way that Zacchaeus has run his life, the way he has sought to grasp and hold on to everything has been a trap for him. And in the moment when he's able to see Jesus and everything changes, and he says, now I get it. And he starts to open up his grasp and he says, I'm going to give it all back. And if I messed anybody, I'm going to give back four times as much as I took from them. He's no longer trapped by that sin. He's no longer trapped by greed by that snare that had caught him and was holding him. And Jesus says, you got saved. You got rescued from greed. So this isn't even, that's a passive word, right? Like you got saved. You got delivered. You didn't do it of yourself. Something happens and then you respond to what had happened. Your eyes and your heart get opened by how much God loves you, by an invitation that Jesus would set your way to say, like Michael said earlier, unlikely that God would pick that person, and yet that's who God picks. So I want to go and I want to spend time with you. I see you, and you people look down on you, <laughs> right? And they look down on you because of what a jerk you are, and that's not going to hold me back. You mess people over all the time and you hurt people all the time and yet I'm going to come to you because I believe if we get to your heart everything changes and it did for Zacchaeus 
David says, you are my salvation. You save me and you rescue me from the traps in my life, the sin in my life that would hold me down. You deliver me. You set me free. And then he talks about God as a stronghold or a refuge. He's using military terms here. Proverbs 18.10 in the NIV says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And he's talking about a structure that somebody could go into and though an army would come against them, they are okay. They won't be overrun. They won't be overtaken. He says, God, you are my safety. You are the fortress that keeps me safe. So the question then for us is, where do we look for our protection? Where do we look for our safety, for our security? We go after all kinds of things. We go to things that will fill up our identity, that we'll, we'll find satisfaction in, that will hold us, uh, our contentment. And we don't realize that those, those just all slip away. Like the book of Ecclesiastes says, all of those things are temporary. Like they hold meaning for a little while, but they're just going to sweep away like the wind. We hold on to those things when God is saying, I'm here and I never go away. Would you come and find your safety in me? Put all those things that cannot deliver away. You get to enjoy those things, maybe, if they're good for you, if they're healthy for you. But don't try to find your security in those things, right? Find your security in God. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's a rhetorical question, right? He's, he shouldn't. Nobody. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Nobody. Like, I got God. I don't have to be afraid anymore. He goes on in verse 2, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And we, just, we know why. Because he has God. Because God is his light, and God is his salvation, and God is his fortress, right? Evildoers, adversaries, enemies, foes, army, war, though the whole world would turn against me, I have God. I, I have God, and so I don't have to fear. Lots of stuff can happen, and yet I can remain confident in God. Psalm 27 begins with a call of confidence. And then it turns into a request. In verse 4, it says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Date myself a little bit. Anybody in here seeing the movie City Slickers? Yeah? Is a good one. And if you're too young, you don't even know what I'm talking about, go like stream it somewhere. It's quality. Billy Crystal in his glory, living a married life, kind of almost about to turn 40, and uh, facing some midlife crisis kind of stuff. He and a bunch of dude friends think it would be really great if they took a dude vacation to a dude ranch and they would ride along pushing cattle from one ranch to another. That's the whole point of the vacation. They team up with some cowboys. They go be cowboys for a week or however long this thing is. And they're a mess, right? There's all kinds of comedy around 
these uh, city boys going into the country and they don't have any idea what they're doing. But one conversation in the middle of the movie strikes at uh, the very core of who Billy Crystal's character is. And he's riding next to a dude named Curly, a cowboy, who does this for a living. This is just, he's natural and he's got all the grit that you would expect in a stereotypical cowboy, right? Pretty rough going. They don't know what they're doing. And Curly shares with him the secret of life. And it starts with him kind of like beating him up. They're like, all you guys are the same. You get tangled in the knots for 50 weeks a year, and you think that two weeks here is going to untangle everything, right? But I'll tell you the secret of life. And he holds up his finger. And Billy's like, your finger is the secret of life? No. One thing. One thing. You find the one thing, and everything else falls into place. Everything else, he actually says, don't mean Right? Billy says, well, what's the one thing? So that's what you got to figure out. For David, the one thing, the thing that centers his life, the one request, one thing I ask, is that I could dwell in the house of the Lord. And he's not just talking about, I want to be in a place. I want a really beautiful temple, a beautiful church building. I just want to be in this setting. What is he asking for? I want to be in the presence of God. I want to gaze on his beauty. I want to see over and over and over just how beautiful God is. That's my request, that I could live life with God, in awe of God. And then I love his kind of like tandem request as part of it. This one thing that I could be with God, that I could gaze on his beauty, and that I could inquire. Like I got questions. I want to ask God questions. And he's not doing inquire isn't an accusatory question, right? Like I got a list of questions and you better answer these. Inquire seems much more genuine. Like I got questions that I don't understand and I would love God as I walk with you for you to Feed me that understanding. Would you teach me? Would you give me that? What's your one thing? What's the thing that holds you together? The thing that you go back to? The thing if everything else crumbles, that stays core to who you are. For David, it's God. I don't think anything can do it like God can He goes on. He knows that God, with God, comes protection. Like he's not just going after things from God. He wants God. But then he knows when he has God with him, God brings certain things with him, right? One of those things is protection. Verse 5 says, He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. One of the reasons that we sing, one of the reasons that we are different from others who might go to a concert and sing because they know the words, because it's catchy. One of the reasons we sing is because we've seen God. We've experienced God. We know the beauty of God. And we're growing in that, right? It's not like we know him fully, but we know him truly. And so we respond like David with shouts of joy. And we almost offer as a sacrifice 
Here's my voice. Here's my heart. Here's my song. David says, I'm so confident in God. I want to, that's all I want to do. I just want to be with him. And when I'm with God, he'll protect me. And I'm going to sing all my days. I'm going to just sing to God. That's my response. I have confidence, God, you protect me. I have a request, God, I want you. And then David has a plea. It's a deeper, deeper than a request, really. It, it gets to a plea. In verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. We've been talking about how the Psalms dip into real life. And so, like, the Psalms don't make life clean. Lots of time there's mess and lots of time there's trouble. And so even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of David feeling like the armies are coming upon him, and he feels like that, he cries out to God from that space. Be gracious to me and answer me. I, I need you to answer me. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. He's having a dialogue with God in his heart. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. He says, hear me. Be gracious. God says, seek me. He says, I do. I do. Don't turn away from me, God. Don't hide your face. You have been my help. Don't cast me away now. Don't forsake me. People have forsaken me. This translation says, my father and mother have forsaken me. Other translations says, even if my father and mother forsake me, yet you will hold me close. When David prays, don't turn away from me, God. Don't hide your face. I think he knows that God won't. I don't think he's actually believing God might turn away, so I better plead with him so that he won't do it. And I think the clue that David believes that God won't turn away is found there. Is found, even my father and mother have forsaken me, but you won't. You will hold me close. Some translations uh, turn that, like, you will take me in. You will receive me. You will hold me close. You will take me up. As if, like, picking up from the dirt is God's response. Even if everybody else pushes me away, God, you will pick me up and you will take me in. You will receive me. Now, do you know this about God? Do you know what David knows about God here? That if everybody else forsakes you, God doesn't. If everybody else would rather push you down into the dirt, God is always there to pick you up out of the dirt. He is always there to hold you close, to hold on when others would push you away, even if everybody else does, yet God won't. David declares in this plea of trouble, if I feel like I'm in trouble, God, don't turn away from me. I know you won't. Don't turn away from me. I know you won't, right? I know that you will take me in. Like the song that we sang earlier, you're never going to let me down does not mean a trite, 
superficial, God, you're always going to deliver for me. You're always going to give me everything that I want, right? You're never going to disappoint me and let me down and like, oh, God, I wish you had come through. That's not what that song is saying. What that song is really saying is, God, you're always going to hold me close. You're always going to hold on. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let go of me. You're never going to put me away or forsake me and just say, ah, eh, kind of tired now of you. What a mess. You are always going to hold on. You will always hold on to me. Do you know that of God? Like, I, I think it's important right now, if you put your head down, I'm not going to embarrass you again. If you put your head down, and I want you to be reminded right now, close your eyes, put your head down. God will hold you close. And I want you to say this to yourself in your head as a prayer to God. God, you hold me close. No matter what trouble comes my way, God, you hold me close. You don't push me away. You don't forsake me. You don't push me down. You hold me close. All right, you can pick your head up. And he adds to the plea. Hear me. Hold me close. He adds then, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. David says, teach me, God, and lead me. Don't give up on me. Protect me. This is a beautiful note to parents. Parents in families, spiritual parents in God's family, and really to all of us. This is a common plea of kids. This is a common plea of people. David's reaching out to God, addressing God as a parent. Like, even if my parents forsake me, God, you will not. He's addressing God as a parent to him, reaching out as the ideal parent. And he's saying, God, will you accept me? Will you listen to me? Will you guide me? And will you protect me? This is what all kids need from their parents, whether they're uh, in families or in spiritual families. God, would you, would you accept me, mom and dad? Would you listen to me? Would you guide me? Would you protect me? How are you doing at offering that to others? Accepting and listening and guiding and protecting of people who God has given you to care for, not in a patronizing way, right? But like if you've been given charge to care for others, are you doing these things? If not, do you feel like you've been given them? Or do you feel like you need somebody who will show you the acceptance that God offers you. You need somebody who will listen to you the way God wants to. You need somebody who will guide you, who will protect you. And if that's you, like, it is good for you to identify your need because we all need it. And I want you to not stop until you find it. Like, continue seeking God and continue seeking people who could pour into your life that way. And when you have received it, and it's not just when I get full enough, then I'll start, right? But when I 
am being poured into, then I can also pour out. I can give these. David's being vulnerable with God, and I think we can too. I need acceptance. I need you to give that freely because I, I can't do enough. I need you to hear me, and you listen. I need to learn, and God, you teach, and you guide, and you do that really well, and I need protection, and you cover me. You won't give me up. And I love the contrast. You're like, God, you won't give me up, but you take me up, right? Even if my father and mother forsake me, if they give up on me, God, you will take me up. He doesn't give up, he takes up. I love that. David at the end says, I believe. Even if I don't see it yet, even if I'm not quite experiencing all of that right now or if things feel a different way than the ideal, I believe, I believe, I live as if, because I know God's trustworthy, because I know as if is reality. Wait, David says to himself. Wait. Be strong. Take courage. Wait, he says it again. Application for us. I think this reminds me of Ephesians 6 all over the place, the armor of God. Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And I say that's, I think that God brings that to mind for me because we have an enemy. You have an enemy. Is a very real and spiritual enemy. Ephesians 6 says this is not flesh and blood. These aren't people, right? This goes to a very much deeper place. You have a spiritual enemy who wants to steal your life away. Do you know that? And do you know that God is stronger? He is stronger than your enemy. And do you know that God has given you everything you need to remain standing in the fight? Fights, the point is to not get knocked down or to not get down too many times or to not stay down, right? God says, the armor that I'm giving you equips you to stand. When the enemy comes at you, you will stand. Do you know that he's given everything you need to stand? If you are in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The power of God dwelling in you to be able to stand up against the attacks from your enemy. I want you to learn more and more and more to hear his voice. And I want you to learn to let him lead you and guide you. And to sum up Psalm 27, God is our light and our salvation, our stronghold. He is our one thing. To be with God is better than any, any other thing. God hears you. He holds you close. God guides you. He protects you. Be strong. Take courage. He is with you. You can wait on him. Like loving parents who would bust through a door to get to you. 
God pierces the darkness so we can live in the light. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the light that you are. We thank you for the light that you are and the light that you bring into this dark world and into the darkness of our lives. And when you show up, darkness flees. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for the truth, God, that you hold us close. That you love when we accept that, when we receive that, to be held by you. Not to try to earn your affection, but simply just to receive it. I think you delight in us receiving you. We thank you for your light, and we thank you for your salvation, and we thank you that you are our stronghold. Protect us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.